Hello, I'm Scott Winnell. Welcome to TW Now and welcome back to our regular viewers. The stock market is still humming. U.S. unemployment figures are at a 50-year low. Confidence seems to be high. Chinese and Indian economies are booming despite a slower fourth quarter of 2018. At the same time, the economic engine of Europe, Germany, and the banking hub of Europe, Britain, are in the throes of Brexit. Both nations are hemorrhaging cash, and many economists forecast a bleak economic future for Europe in the months and the years ahead, especially if Brexit goes through. By the way, leaders of the EU extended the Brexit deadline last night until October 31, which has economists even more nervous. Even with several global economies booming, there are storm clouds on the economic horizon, as this CNN business headline pointed out Tuesday. Trade is slowing, and so is the global economy. The IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund, warns of a delicate moment. Should we feel economically safe? Is there a coming recession, or even worse, a coming depression? Can we even know? And does the Bible give us any insights? Our returning guests today both have significant background and interest in this topic, and you won't want to miss what they have to say. Mr. Dexter Wakefield is with us again today. Mr. Wakefield holds an MBA degree in finance from Columbia University. He's worked in the field of finance for more than 40 years. He is also a Tomorrow's World writer who focuses his writing and research on geopolitics and finance as they relate to Bible prophecy. So welcome, Mr. Wakefield, it's good to have you here today. Mr. Clore, welcome to you. Mr. Ray Clore holds a master's degree in public policy from George Mason University. As a U.S. Department of State employee for most of his career, he's lived and worked in many different nations around the globe and is familiar with international spending patterns and the cultures underpinning international finance. Mr. Clore is joining us via <coughs> Skype from Washington, D.C. And again, great to have you here with us today. Thank you. For those Thank of you, you listening in on the program, if you have questions as we carry out our discussion today, please feel free to message us. We'll do our best to answer some of your questions. Also, please be sure to subscribe, like, or share today's program. Well, gentlemen, let's go ahead and get started. Mr. Clore, I'd like to start with you as we begin today and ask you the question, what financial trends are we watching happen globally around us? If you can give us a couple of those. Okay, uh, I think first off, uh, in the United States, we are having a strong economic expansion, uh, but also it's accompanied by a very large deficit spending. So while the economy is good financially, we are running up a lot more debt. Around the world, we see two major uh, countries like China and India, their economies are slowing, but they're still having above 6% uh, increase in their economic growth. Which is so, about double the U.S.'s economic increase, isn't it? About three times. Yeah. Three times, okay. It's much more than the U.S., that, that's for sure. So uh, there's a certain unevenness around the world. Two years ago, most of the countries were all expanding around the world. That, that happens very rarely. But now we have a situation where the United States still seems to be doing rather well, but other countries are having some slowdowns. Okay. Mr. Wakefield, what are some trends that you're watching happen globally with economies? Well, as, as Mr. Clore mentioned, uh, there is somewhat of a slowdown worldwide, and that's being talked about quite a bit. But it's still predicted to be above 3%. It's going from 
3.5 or something, I forget exactly, but the global economic growth is still slated to be pretty, uh, going to be pretty good. Uh, we talked about China. China says that they have about a 6% rate of growth, but nobody really knows because their numbers are so inaccurate. And there's a lot of uh, structural things within China regarding their debt, uh, shadow banking, huge real estate bubble going on over there that could affect them very rapidly because they, are, they have some pretty shaky things. Let me stop you real quickly. Shadow banking, you mentioned that. Can you uh, describe that briefly for our viewers? What does that mean? Uh, shadow banking is unregulated private lenders as a banker, a sort of a banker, a person or, or institution that takes money from private lenders and then directs it to other borrowers. Okay. And it's very hard to tell what all is going on. There's a huge, what's called shadow banking in the U.S. and also with, um, with around China and a lot of parts of the middle of the East. We just don't know how much of that goes on. So it's hard to get a good handle on what the total amount of debt is. There's a huge amount of shadow banking that goes on within China that's very hard to track if the Chinese uh, track it themselves. But if there is a global slowdown, it will have an effect on the U.S. and it will pull our rate of growth down somewhat as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mr. Clory, do you have any other thoughts about uh, what's happening globally? I think it's important to note the, the price of oil is going up again. Uh, in part, that's been caused by sanctions on Iran as well as the troubles that continue in Venezuela. Uh, the, uh, has the world's largest proven oil reserves. So anytime you have a price in oil, that puts a break on economic activity, uh, increases the cost of transport, plus uh, it's you know the, the prime primary ingredient in many products itself. So as long as the price of oil keeps going up, that's going to put, a, again, a, a break on uh, world economic activity. Okay. Mr. Wakefield, are you familiar with um any of the trends that are happening in Europe right now with the economy? The trend in Europe right now is terror. I mean, it's not, it's economic and political terror, not the, the traditional kind that we're used to. Mm -hmm. It's Brexit. And if Britain pulls out of a particularly an unstructured just withdrawal, it could have very difficult effect on the, uh, on the Germans and a lot of the other countries there as well. The Germans are very afraid of it because it'll disrupt um, supply chains. 50% uh, of their economy is export. A lot of that goes to the UK and other places. So that could be, be very disruptive to the uh, Europeans if that happened. What would happen to the British? Well, they think they might be better off without it, or at least on the long term. So right now, there's a great sigh of relief because this Brexit thing has been extended to October 31. And we'll just have to see what happens with that. But yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. This is the second extension in a little over two weeks, and they're talking about, uh, the Europeans are talking about, well, if, it, if they don't make it by October 31, maybe we'll give them till next June. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting yeah. adventure. Just to elaborate a little bit more, one of the things to keep an eye on in Europe is the economy of Germany. As I said, they are 50% export is their economy has done that. Their factory orders are way down right now, have been going down for a, a, the better part of a year. So uh, Germany could be moving into a recessionary cycle as well. Brexit would hurt them very much, so they are very nervous there 
uh, about what could happen with the political situation within the EU. Excellent. This gives. Go ahead, uh, Dr. Winnell. If I could, if I could add something about that, um, the World Trade Organization just recently uh, produced a report that says that the Europeans were unfairly subsidizing Airbus, and yes. the United States has, in I think. I think we just imposed $11 billion of tariffs on Europe because of the Airbus situation. Now, this also feeds into the Brexit because the wings of the Airbus planes are made, I believe all of them are made in Britain. Yes. So if you have a Brexit where you didn't have some kind of arrangement worked out for the wings to come from Britain to be you know, put together in France and, and the completed <coughs> planes sold, that leads to a really big slowdown of activity in Europe, but also the Europeans will want to put tariffs back on the United States because they don't accept necessarily the World Trade Organization report. So we have a little bit of dueling tariffs going on there, as well as the possibility of the United States. When we're, we're looking at the world economic scene, we, we have the possibility of uh, slower trade because of higher tariffs for various reasons. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Mr. Wakefield, we'll go to you for this one to begin with. We've, we've, we've talked about sort of what's going on globally, what are some of the trends. <clears throat> experts, uh, economists, uh, those who call themselves experts, have ideas about a future recession. And the question is, what do the experts say? What are the experts saying about a future recession or depression? And so we'll go to Mr. Wakefield first, then Mr. Clore will come back to you. Okay, well, economists are really good at predicting recessions. As we said earlier, they've predicted five out of the last two. So a lot of times they're influenced by political reasons and uh, uh, factors and other things like that. I will say that, that most of them are saying we're probably going to be pretty well through 2019. Uh, others say we'll extend on out uh, for the next two or three years. I do have the, one, of the, one of the few that I follow that's normally optimistic, saying he's very worried about 2020, that uh, we could see a number of factors, once again, the perfect storm of several things coming together that would, uh, could cause uh, some of the structural deficiencies we have in the economy right now to sort of implode or go bad. Okay. Mr. Clore. Well, I, I do follow certain uh, investment uh, advisors as well. And uh, one of the things that I'm seeing here is that uh, leading economic indicators peaked in two, uh, 2014, and they're on a slight downhill run at this point. Um, so it does seem like we are heading toward some kind of economic slowdown. Uh, it, paradoxically, when you have stock markets at their peaks, and when you have uh, uh, unemployment rates at historic lows, those also precede a recession normally. So while things look good, these are the signs that, okay, there's, there's not a lot of upward uh, possibilities for the stock market. And for unemployment, there's not a lot of uh, downward uh, possibilities either. So that means it can only go in what we would call a negative direction. In other words, higher unemployment and lower stock market um, uh, valuations. Uh, we've had so many recessions predicted, really ever since President Trump came into office, they predicted that a recession would um, happen every year. 
uh, recession is going to come eventually. We have an economic cycle, and we are in a very unusually long recovery period. It's been a slow recovery, around 2% a year, uh, maybe even a little less, but we've had a very long one. Uh, a lot of them say it's simply time for the normal economic cycle. We were talking earlier about the, in, the inventory cycle. All of these things affect it. Could or should be producing some sort of dip in the economy in the next year or two. And I, I still think that is um, that's quite possible that could happen. You mentioned cycles. <clears throat> Mr. Clore, we were talking about this earlier. Can you give us a little bit more insight into cycles and these economic cycles? Mr. Wakefield just mentioned we're sort of near the end of a cycle. How long do these things typically last, at least with the U.S. economy? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, there's something called Kondratia cycles, which are long wave cycles of about 50 years in length. Uh, I think I believe Kondratiev was a Russian economist. And then there's also uh, seven-year cycles that we've seen a lot of in the United States uh, as per, in terms of stock market declines. Uh, uh, if you go back to 1780, the start of uh, the United States, we had, there was a, a, a depression. 1830s, there was economic difficulties. 1880 was a bank panic, and there was also... Um, ecological problems. There was dust bowls in the West and the 1930s also great economic depression and dust bowls. In the 1980s, uh, according to this 50-year cycle idea, we should have had a, a recession or depression, but what happened is that the United States borrowed its way out of that. So instead of a normal downturn that would have evened things out a little bit among economic classes, um, we instead had a lot of borrowed money and the rich got richer and everybody else stayed pretty much the same. Um, when it comes to the seven-year cycles, uh, going back to, let's say, 1973, there was a stock market low. 1980, stock market low. 1987, stock market crash. Uh, 19, no, excuse, yeah, 1993 or 94, I think there was another stock market low. 2001, great economic collapse um, in the stock market because of 9-11. 2008, we all know about that economic crash. 2015 uh, was only about a 10% correction. So if you look back over these habits of seven-year stock market cycles, we're basically overdue for a stock market, uh, a big stock market plunge. Uh, again, why that hasn't happened yet, I couldn't tell you. But uh, we do see, when we look back on the history of the United States, we see these long-range 50-year cycles, uh, except for the last one in 1980. And we've seen seven-year cycles in terms of stock market uh, rises and falls, except for the most recent one in 2015, which was only a, like a 10% decrease. Okay. So it's definitely something that's sort of natural to the economics of many nations is these cycles. Would you like to add anything, Mr. Wakefield? It, it is to market economies. Um, market pressures, um, when demand is good, people build up inventories, they engage in more investment, they hire more people, and things taper off, and then they, their inventory goes down, they lay people off. It's just a natural cycle. I think we've learned to mitigate it somewhat. Um, particularly the Fed, juggles rates up and down a little bit. Sometimes they do it too much, and then mm -hmm. 
too much up, too much down, and sets off another major problem. So hopefully um, they will handle it better this time. <laughs> hopefully. Mr. Clark, it's interesting you were mentioning in the cycles, the seven-year cycle and the 50-year cycle. Uh, these things sound biblical to me. Any thoughts there? Well, uh, indeed they are. Jubilee cycle. Uh, if you look in the book of Leviticus, God proposed to ancient Israel a economic system based on forgiveness. And the forgiveness was that every 50 years, long-term debt, or shall we say debt on land, was forgiven and families went back to their original inheritances. But inside that long-term debt cycle of forgiveness, there was every seven years a forgiveness of short-term debts, things like what we would call credit cards or you know, short-term debts like car loans. And I certainly would love to have a release of my car loan, but uh, that those are biblical principles that uh, God proposed to ancient Israel. It's not clear that ancient Israel ever really followed the whole system completely. Uh, we have indications here and there that certain parts may have been followed. But uh, when God proposes something, I think it's something we really need to pay attention to. Mm. Yeah, he seems to know quite a bit about these things. It's, it's just fascinating that with our market economies, there seems to be a similar cycle, as is mentioned in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Mr. Wakefield, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question, uh, sort of last question in this section, and that has to do with inverted yield curves. We've seen these things in the news, especially in the last couple of weeks, and uh, financial news websites have jumped all over this concept. What is an inverted yield curve, and why are certain economists and especially journalists so excited about this idea of an inverted yield curve. And I'll let you know as the audience, it's interesting, I've had the, have the privilege of working with Mr. Wakefield and he throws this term around and he has for several years now and now we're seeing it in the news and it's, it's just fascinating to me. But maybe you could talk about it and we'll actually pull up an image and show you what an inverted yield curve theoretically looks like as well. Okay, to our viewers, I know you're about to click us off, right? All right, now let me just mention this. Let me just tell you that the last seven recessions have been preceded by what's called an inverted yield curve, all right? Normally, the, um, the, the, the interest rates on borrowings are low on for short-term borrowings and high for long-term borrowings. If you have a one-year adjustable on your house loan, you have a, high, a lower interest rate than if you have a 30-year fixed rate. So that's because of inflation over time is going to uh, deteriorate the, the value of the money. So the, you always usually normally pay a higher interest rate for your uh, longer term. But what happens is sometimes it goes the other way, that the short-term rates get higher for a variety of reasons, particularly when the Fed pushes them up, and the long-term rates get lower. And when you see that, instead of the curve going up, it's going down, that's called an inverted yield curve. And frequently, it will almost always in recent times, it has preceded recessions. Okay. So do we have the, we, yes. okay, we have it there. The blue line is the uh, a normal yield curve. See there it says normal right on it. And the red line is an inverted yield curve. So uh, if when you see an inverted yield curve, economists scream and run and hide and, uh, you know, do all kinds of things because they figured that a recession is imminent when that's going on. The question is, do we have an inverted yield curve now? 
A lot of people are saying that we do, and others are saying, uh, maybe not, maybe not. So just to try to deal with that very, very briefly, the, uh, the Fed has raised short-term rates, oh, what, quite a half a percent uh, recently, and they say they're not going to do it anymore. So the short-term rates of one month are about the same as the 10-year rate, so it's flat with a little dip in the middle. It goes down a little bit, the three to five year range. So people say, hey, that's like an inverted yield curve. The yield curve is inverting. Well, if you go beyond 10 years, it goes up again. So it's more normal. Yes, more normal. If you go from, um, from one month to 30 years, we still have a positive yield curve. So other analysts are pointing out, yeah, we're not there yet. If long-term rates decline, which they haven't been for the last two or three years, they're basically where they were two or three years ago, then that would indicate that if they go down below those levels significantly, we're going to have a recession. If they stay up above or about where they have been, uh, you know, we may just muddle on through it. So are those who are claiming uh, that we've got an inverted yield curve, are they just crying wolf at this point in time? Well, and I think the crying, I, I hope we're going to have a, a bad economy for the election in some cases. And right. it is true, short term to 10 years, flat, and it could go down. Okay. But the longer term is still positive, so we don't really know yet. But people are keeping a very close eye on the yield curve. So that's that. Thank you. Let me ask you, Mr. Clore, come back to you with um, trends. Uh, might trigger a recession. Any ideas about trends that could trigger recession, either here in the U.S. or internationally? Wow. What should uh, we watch for? What, what could be some of those things? There's a lot of different things that could trigger something like this. Um, I think a, a problem in the Brexit, as I already said, uh, would give enough insecurity that people might tend to stop investing or at least pull back on investing and if they pull back on investing in capital goods and, and building factories and so forth that could lead to an economic slowdown um, China as uh, Mr. Wakefield said has very sketchy uh, economic data and it, their economy could be in a lot worse shape than it appears. So if China stops buying a lot of goods from Europe, if, if China stops buying a lot of soybeans and corn and things like that from the United States, that could cause an economic um, uh, slowdown. And, and I think the biggest thing that most people in the United States are looking at would be a interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve. If that interest rate goes up, uh, then I think a lot of people will take that as an indication that either inflation is starting to take off or that there's some kind of problem. So people in this country at least look a lot at the Federal Reserve to see if the rates are going up or if they're staying the same. For the moment, they're staying the same. Okay. Mr. Wakefield, I'm going to switch gears here. Uh, and for both of you, I'd really like to go to the Bible for a little bit and see what the Bible has to say about future recession or depression. And I'm actually going to ask a specific question that you can answer directly or use it as a catalyst for conversation. This comes from Facebook. It says, Revelation 18 seems to predict an end to this world's economic system named Babylon. Is this what will happen before Christ returns? 
Well, I think the world's economic system will change very dramatically because we hear of a great power in Europe, this great beast power that is going to um, uh, have a great deal of control over world trade and perhaps produce a lot of good things. In that time, the U.S. Uh, is prophesied, I think, um, in, to decline. Uh, I do think that we'll go through a severe period, which is called the Great Tribulation of the Day of the Lord. There will be almost no economy. That's going to be a very difficult period, and that is prophesied before Christ's coming. After that, then um, his kingdom will be a great blessing to the world. When you mention um, this, the whole economy crashing sort of in the world, can you think of any scriptures, either chapter and verse, or just the context of the scripture that gives an indicator of this real grand economic slowdown or crash? Well, let's, just, let's talk about the weather and earthquakes. I mean, if, if we're having severe weather, if there's clouds and gloominess, darkness, if there's uh, um, the whole, whole earth is shaking such that mountains are literally being leveled, I mean, who's going to work? Right. I mean, everybody's going to be hiding when that goes on. So um, that will be um, uh, another thing. We talk about the um, uh, four horsemen. One of them says, um, weighing out uh, prices for things in a very precise way that would indicate shortages in addition to perhaps inflation, but it could be a severe shortages of all kinds of food and mm. the prices of everything would go up a great deal. Yeah, that's, that scripture pops out to me too. The, the value, essentially a day's wages for a quart of wheat um, or a little bit less than a liter of wheat, that's, that's very, very expensive, mm -hmm. a day's wages. And we're seeing things like that in Venezuela right now. Mm -hmm. Mr. Clore, what else do you have to add about what the Bible says about uh, future economics in the world, uh, recession, depression, other things? Well, I think our normal listeners understand that we try to use the Bible as a basis for our viewpoint on the world. And the Bible, I think, clearly indicates there's a connection between obeying God and prosperity. Uh, God, many times in the prophets, um, he says, look, I'm the one that gave you um, the power to gain wealth. I'm the one that gives you your, your wheat and your wine and your, your oil. And in the prophet Hosea, I believe it's Hosea chapter 2, God talks about taking back these blessings. We, we somehow in this country have an entitlement mentality where just because we're born in the United States, we feel entitled to continuous prosperity. Well, if you're born in other countries, you're, you know that you're not really entitled to prosperity, but different things happen to you, some of them within your control and some aren't. But I think one of the big things that we're looking at is that there's increasing lawlessness in the United States and around the world. There's increasing immorality. There's increasing theft. There's increasing deception and lying. And so at some point, God is going to start bringing back the blessings. He's going to withdraw them, and that will result in economic recession or depression. Mm. You have anything to add, Mr. Wakefield? He said it well. Okay. Do we see any scriptures, any um, advice in the scripture that relates to wise economic practices, smart things that we should do? Uh, pieces of advice. Mr. Clore, you got a grin on well, your face. Well, yes. There. Well, it's because, you know, I, I've read this verse a lot 
over the years, and it's in Romans, I believe, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Oh, no man, anything but love and a mortgage. Uh, of course, the mortgage is what I added. <laughs> but we're supposed to owe no man anything but love, which means basically try to live without debt. Uh, in our in our modern world, it, it's almost impossible to live without a mortgage if you're buying a house or if you're renting. But I think all of us can try to live, obviously, within our means. The Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. And I would rather be free if I can. And that means I want to pay off my credit cards at the end of every month. I don't want to uh, borrow money uh, for current consumption. I want to stay, you know, lower my consumption to where it meets what my income is. So I, I really like that Romans 13, 8, oh, no man, anything but love. I think that's what we should be striving to do. Mm -hmm. I, I really agree with what Mr. Corso said about that. Uh, and just reiterate to people, if you have credit card debt, go ahead and give a priority uh, to getting out of it and live within your means and leave enough room to pay that down. You're paying like 18, 20%. It's terrible. It's terrible to be doing that. And when people sort of get out to the end of that chain and they've, they've been adding and adding and adding and then finally they run out of credit on their credit cards, it's a terrible feeling. It's a miserable thing, and they wind up going to um, a credit card agency or credit repair agencies. It's a miserable experience to have. So that's wonderful advice to do that, is the scripture that the uh, borrower is the servant of the lender. If you don't believe that, ask the people of Greece, ask the people of Argentina. They found out about that the hard way, and maybe you can ask the U.S. about that in a few years too, because we are putting out huge amounts of money that... Um, uh, uh, debt, much of this uh, cash and money that goes out into the world system is handling the world's trade and the world's economic system, but new currencies are coming up. They're talking about basket currencies in China. That would be a substitute for the, um, for the dollar and others, perhaps the euro at some point. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are, um, are shaky with regard to debtors. It's good to be debt-free if you can be. Mm -hmm. Well, we are running out of time, gentlemen, <clears throat> so I, I want to get to my last question to you. And uh, Mr. Clore, we'll start with you, but I'm going to pose a question and then preface it. The question, or actually, yeah, the, the, the wind-up question is here, what, what takeaway, what other takeaways might you have for our audience today? And as you think about that, a couple of our listeners have asked the question, so What's, what sound economic advice? Should I invest in gold? Should I put my money in the bank? Should I put my money under a mattress? Um, it, as you wind up, maybe one of you can address some of those things as well. But Mr. Clore, what kind of takeaway do you have for our audience today? Well, I think there's several, and uh, these, this advice or, is not uh, new from my part. It's mostly folk wisdom, but it's, it's things like that we all need to learn and develop a practical skill, uh, invest in practical education, something that can bring immediate uh, benefit if we, if we have to go and work somewhere, something like being an electrician, a carpenter, a truck driver, a cook, something like that. Uh, this is very important to have that kind of practical skill. I, I think we have to make sure that when a recession comes, because again, when, when I view recession, that sort of means to me that there'll be less demand for my labor or the labor of people uh, who are working people. So that means that 
a laboring person needs to have multiple skills so they can uh, adjust when there's an economic problem. And we all have to be willing to move to where uh, our particular skills might be needed. So I think that's very important. But other things like we've already mentioned, just try to keep pay off your credit cards every month, keep your consumption down. Uh, and if you're going to invest in something, I would say invest in experiences, not in things. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Wakefield, what are your thoughts? Hmm. Well, the Bible has some reminders for us. Let me just read one here. This is from Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Um, it says... And you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth, but you sh shall remember that the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his promises and so forth. And God does want us to prosper, but we have to remember he makes us productive. He is sovereign and he's the one that allows us to do it. As we had mentioned earlier, he can withdraw these blessings. So there's very likely that uh, the country's uh, economic condition will track its moral condition. Mm. And mm. what that means is that we have to keep our spiritual and financial house in order. I might add that means don't steal from God as well. Mm -hmm. That uh, obey his commandments, do what he says, and I think he'll take care of us. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Wakefield. Mm -hmm. Appreciate your comments and your thoughts. Mr. Clore, thank you for being with us on the program again today. Thanks for taking the time with us and for the insights that you were able to share. The U.S. economy is humming along, as we've talked about. And although the economies of China and India have slowed somewhat, they're still growing at a pace probably triple that of the United States. Yet there are signs of economic slowdown or recession in the U.S. and around the globe, including in the all-important European Union. Monetary cycles, as we've talked about today, also indicate recession is likely at some point in the not too distant future. Personally, we do need to be careful and avoid living beyond our means, as we've just talked about, and instead simplify our lives. We also need to know that for the Israelite descended nations of the US, many Western European nations and the British descended nations, Bible prophecy does forecast a coming time of depression before the return of Jesus Christ. Savvy and discerning students of the Bible know that they should follow the warning of Jesus Christ to watch for the signs of the end of the age. For more important insights into your financial future and that of the nation you live in, be sure to read our article, False Alarm or Coming Great Depression. I'll read that again. False Alarm or Coming Great Depression. You can find that on our tomorrowsworld.org website. We also encourage you to look at our booklet, 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return. For continuing insights into world events and for deeper answers to the questions of the Bible, please stay tuned to TW Now each week and join us. Next week, we plan to examine the assertion that some make that Christ did not die on Good Friday. We hope you'll join us. We also invite you to be sure to subscribe, like, or share today's program. And we'll see you again next week.